I always start with focusing on the liver, then we focus on the gut, then we focus on the hormones because if those things are not in line, you're not gonna be able to balance your hormones. After birth control, we focus on the gut lining, repairing that um, so that you're actually able to absorb your nutrients. Welcome to the Cycleway Podcast, where we talk about all things women's health, but especially cycles and periods. Join in as I share my own journey and findings, interview various experts in women's health, and talk with everyday women who share their inspiring health stories. I want to help educate women about their cycles so they can sync with their innate flow in their day-to-day life with ease and confidence. I hope you'll be truly empowered to know how to support your cycle and hormonal health in your everyday life as if it were second nature, because it is. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Today on the podcast, we have Eva, who has her master's degree in nutrition from a program that takes a unique approach to nourishment, which I'm really excited to dive into. Her focus is on helping women restore gut health, balance hormones, and heal from birth control, which she does through social media and one-on-one coaching. So before we get into all of that, do you want to share a little bit about yourself? Yes. So um, I did get my master's degree in um, nutrition at University of Bridgeport. It was an online program, uh, a little over two years. But prior to that, I got a bachelor's in criminal justice. So you really have no idea what you want to do when you're 17. And I liked the show Criminal Minds. So I was like, yeah, sounds good. I actually am an investigator um, at the criminal court as well as this, but um, this is my true passion. So once I kind of developed that, I went back to school and um, went to, like I said, UB and um, really dove into holistic nutrition. Um, It's less about, you know, losing weight and that kind of stuff. It's more about how you can heal your body through nutrition. Um, You know, we went over all these different medical um, issues that people have and how you would address it through nutrition, how you could reverse it. Like even, you know, type two diabetes, people think that you're just stuck with it. That's not always the case. Um, I did recently have a client where we were able to reverse that and it doesn't take long, you know, um, it was within six weeks, her, uh, blood glucose was within normal range. So once you know the correct approaches and you're able to, and you have a client who's like willing and ready to implement them, cause nobody likes a diagnosis. When you get a diagnosis, it is a wake up call. Um, and when you're put on medication, it's a wake up call. So that's what a lot of people need in order to like, all right, I'm ready. Like, let's get going. Um, and I just think that seeing that happen in real time is so cool. Um, and just watching people, you know, heal themselves. Like I'm not healing you. I'm giving you the tools you need. Um, and you're healing yourself. So you have to be there mentally and, you know, show up. That's, that's a little about me. (laughs) That's a good approach. I think that's definitely one of the things I've noticed the most in, working through my health and watching other people work through theirs is that you, you have to be in the driver's seat. You can't just go to somebody and say, fix me. It doesn't matter if it's a doctor, if it's, you know, a nutritionist or a physical therapist, like it is at the end of the day, your work and responsibility. So like I've had to discontinue, you know, a few clients cause they're just looking for me to do it for them. And it's like, all right, I've given you all the tools. You're just not implementing them and you're giving me excuses and why you can't do them. Um, and you know, part of it is helping them work through that, but at a certain point, it's like, I just, you're not ready. You have to be ready. And if you're not, you know, come, come back when you are. (laughs) (laughs) Cause everyone's at a a different place. Like I look back for me and there are so many times where I obviously was struggling with a lot with my health and wanted to figure things out. But looking back like at 16 and 17, 18, like I wasn't in a place to, to learn what I know now and to dive into it. Like I have the resources to now. So yeah, 
all yeah. all the time exactly <laughs> um, we just hope that for everyone it's sooner rather than later <laughs> going into your your story what got you started on your journey with women's health so it was a mosh podge of things so i had graduated college and i was living alone and i pretty much i didn't know anything about nutrition at this point i thought everything just like happened to you and that was it like it was just your genetics your fate so i um was eating like crap i i had like a a small pizza, a bottle of wine and a pint of ice cream several nights a week. Um, and obviously I started to gain a little bit, bit of weight. I wasn't super overweight or anything, but um, I decided to start going to the gym and lifting. So I did and I got in, in good shape and I still wasn't recognizing that there was a nutrition component. I knew like macros, right? But I didn't recognize that I was like, eh, I'm working out, I'm working it off. It's fine. Like, but that started getting me into like nutrition podcasts and just learning more about it. And I was like, this is crazy. You have a whole world of just like healing yourself through food. I know like one that blew me away was like Kiwis have DNA protecting properties. That's like something I heard before I ever went to school. And I was like, oh, let me get some Kiwis. So I just started getting into it that way. And then what really pushed me to like go to school for it was I came off of birth control and Oh my gosh. Within like a few weeks, I had um, gained at least 20 pounds. And I was like in the best shape of my life at that point. I'd been going to the gym. Um, you know, I had, I had abs. <laughs> so it was really hard for me to be like, okay, now I've gained this weight. My clothes weren't fitting. I had to get like these, you know, bigger pants or use my old pants that I was using before. So I pretty much flopped right back to where I had started um, weight wise, which probably would have been a good thing because I got to, you know, value myself for other, like for other than what I looked like, mm. but it also kind of woke me up. I was like, why is this happening though? Cause this shouldn't, have, it's not like anything changed other than the fact that I went off of birth control. So I was like, it's not the food. It's not the working out. So what is it? Um, so that kind of, and I had really bad acne too, um, fatigue and just some, you know, um, like emotional changes and, I had really bad BO too. Like I smelled so bad all the time. I could shower and immediately smell like crap again. <laughs> so I was like, what is going on? Um, so then two months, I pretty much immediately applied for my master's in nutrition. Cause at that point I was like, I just need to learn it all. I need to know everything. So um, that's when I applied and I started my master's program two months later and was working the whole time to just reverse those things and figure out what worked and what didn't work. <laughs> Like that's what is so interesting. I think there's when everyone I talk to, there's so many different components that go into finding where we are now, especially women that don't just learn for themselves, but then turn around and try to help other people and start to help educate others. It's there's always a whole thing behind it. So exactly. And you usually go into things like you dealt with yourself. So you you know the pain of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it can last years if you don't correctly address it. So yeah, all those post-birth control symptoms. Yeah. Yes. It's a struggle. That's for sure. So with your master's program, how did you end up finding that program? And could you share more about what led you there and what your experience there was like? Yeah, I was actually seeing a naturopath at the time um, for those issues as well. And I said that I wanted to pursue the you know career and she recommended the UB program because she was also a professor there for their naturopath doctor program. Um, but she kind of recommended I not go into that. She was like, it's, you know, you learn a lot of the same stuff in the nutrition program, 
but a lot less student loans. Plus you have to, to be a naturopathic doctor, you also have to go to med school and then you break off into like the specialty of naturopathic medicine. So it would have been a lot more time, a lot more money. Um, and it was kind of what I was looking for anyway. So I went into that. So I kind of just applied like the next week or something. <laughs> That's cool. So with the program, you shared a little bit online about it. Um, even just like what the students' mindsets were going into the program versus how it was at the end. Um, and just how how is it different from other nutrition programs, you think? So it's very holistic, functional based. Um, you know, it's not just about this diet for this condition, this diet for this condition. It's about recognizing your client for an individual person. Um, and, you know, a lot of like dietetic programs, they'll focus on like, okay, they have a kidney issue. Here's the diet that goes with that. Here's the foods to avoid. Here's the foods you can include. So it's, it's not very, um, it's kind of like one size fits all when it doesn't. So my program was very holistic and we would talk about diets like Mediterranean diet and all the different diets and how they're helpful for certain people, but it's kind of like you have more discretion um, on what this person might need. And it's also a lot about root cause. So they trained us so well to be like, cool, that's a great suggestion, but is that going to fix the root cause? So always think about where to start because then you're just going to have like a domino effect um, if you deal with the root cause, then, you know, like insulin resistance. So, you know, you want to deal with that first, cause that could be leading to a bunch of other things as well. That's what I think one of the main things I wish people knew more about nutrition is when you look at the symptoms and you could do things to fix the symptoms, but when you get at that root cause, like, why do you have this in the first place? Yes. Then whatever is causing that, you know, for example, if it, if it's as simple as like inflammation, if you have inflammation that's showing up as like acne or painful periods, if you address why you have that inflammation, it's going to help with multiple different things and ways that you probably don't even recognize that you're having that right. expressed in your body in so many different ways until you start healing it. And you're like, Oh, I feel different, not just with these main symptoms, but with other things too. So. Right. Exactly. All connected. So how did you start sharing everything on social media then? So a few months into my program, I just thought everything was so cool. I was such a nutrition nerd. So I just started an Instagram and started sharing random facts. Um, and I wasn't really consistent. I wasn't really attempting to grow it. I just wanted to share things mainly with the people that I had on like my personal account. I just posted on my personal account. I was like, hey, like I'm posting, you know, fun nutrition facts, but I wasn't actively trying to like grow it or anything. Um, and then I had a friend, Sedona Tregoning. She's awesome. Um, and she's also into like all this and everything. And she has an Instagram and she does very well. But um, she was like, you know what? You just have to do it. Like if you want to take, start building your business now, because once you complete your program, you're going to want to, you know, have clients and start a business. So she was like, just start posting like that now. And I was very resistant because I don't love social media, <laughs> but um, I also think it was like a fear of failure for me. So then I ended up, I was like, you know what, screw it. You're right. Like who cares if it doesn't do well, or I get nobody, you know? So I just started posting and, you know, she helped me out with the beginning of like how to set up a business. So yeah, that's how I kind of got into like posting and then turning it into more of a business. Nice. It's kind of similar for me. It was, I was hesitant at first, you know, like, do people actually care about this? They're actually going to like pay attention. Like, am I going to put all this effort into making this content and people like it and they they want to learn more and 
I think it helped me to realize through social media that people are drawn towards it and they want, they want to heal. They want to, they want to find that help and find resources that can help them do that. They just don't know where to find it. Especially as women, you know, like I remember in middle school, I, we were sat down for like the puberty talk. Right. And essentially all they told us is that we were going to bleed once a month and it could hurt. And like, they didn't tell you, you could only get pregnant six days out of the month. Um, they didn't tell you, you know, that cramps aren't normal or like pain isn't normal and having to be home with a heating pad is not normal. So they just kind of, cause all of them dealt with it too. Like they don't know. So we weren't really taught about our hormones or even birth control, like how detrimental it is to our health. We weren't taught that. It was just like, well, you got cramps. Here's this pill that'll fix it all. It's like, mm, well, in 10 years, when I come off, um, I'm gonna need to fix it then and probably even worse. Yep, exactly what happened <laughs> for me. It was, oh, well, just take birth control and then we'll figure it out later. Like, well, I wanna figure it out now. <laughs> I wanna wait until I'm trying to have kids one day to figure this out. Like, anyway, menstrual health affects us now and it's not just for when we wanna have kids, but. Right, it affects our every day, every day. It's not about having children. I'm not ready, but. I, you know, I'm going to make sure that my hormones are balanced and I'm ovulating. <laughs> yeah. It's good for your health, no matter where you're at, whether you've already had kids or you're not going to have kids for another 10 years. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or if you're 32, <laughs> exactly. menstrual health matters for sure. Diving into that a little bit more, um, on your Instagram, you share about three main things. You've got health, healing from birth control and balancing hormones. So I want to dive into more on how all those things are connected um, I think it's easy to talk about those things as separate, but there's a reason you share about all of them together. So first question, how would you explain hormonal health to someone who's brand new to learning about it? Even though I was in that mindset forever, it's tough to put myself back there. Um, it's, you know, it's everything from down to like how you feel, right? If you don't have, if you're not ovulating and you're not producing progesterone in your second half of your cycle, you might feel more anxious. Like your life, your quality of life would be diminished based on like how you feel and how you respond, like maybe you're a little bit more touchy or, um, you know, sensitive if you have higher estrogen. So your hormonal health dictates your mental health. It dictates so much when it comes to hormones, it's like even your stress. <laughs> so we basically have a hormone for pretty much everything. Um, and you could not survive without it. Um, and people really struggle when they're off balance. So you know, with high testosterone, women specifically with usually with PCOS, they'll experience high testosterone. That might be like inappropriate facial hair on your, um, you know, chin or mustache, or um, even the nipples, like you'll grow like dark hair where you don't want it. So that as well as, you know, for me, when I was smelling bad, like the really bad BO, I, that's because I was, I had high testosterone. So in the weight gain and the acne that can all be related back to just one hormone, Usually it's more than one hormone if one's off, but that can all be related back to just your hormones not being balanced. I think there's a lot of symptoms that we don't realize are stemming from our hormonal health, whether we're on birth control or off of birth control. Um, a lot of those symptoms are because of our hormones, whether that's like you said, mental health or different physical health things like it's very, very connected. With birth control, how does that impact our hormonal health and why do we need to heal from it? So birth control kind of gums up the liver. So when you come off of it, um, you know, your liver detoxes 
some of the hormones. So specifically estrogen, if your if your liver is having trouble detoxing because of the birth control that you just came off of, your estrogen might be high or, you know, it, it can just screw up your natural hormones because it's been blocked for so long. So they're like kind of confused. It's like, what do we do? And a lot of times what you had going on prior to going off, going on birth control, maybe it was really bad cramps or endometriosis or PCOS. Um, then that's going to come back and it's going to come back probably worse because it's kind of just like you poked a bear and you put a bandaid on it and um, it's just going to come right back. So you're going to have to deal with it at some point. I can understand the convenience of like, oh, I don't have painful periods, like, you know, but it can really have a pretty significant effect. Even on your, if you have a gene for an autoimmune disease, then your birth, taking birth control increases risk significantly of developing an autoimmune disease. So you need three things to develop an autoimmune disease. And that's one genetics, two, a triggering factor and three leaky gut. Birth control both causes leaky gut and can be a triggering factor. So all you need is the genetics at that point. So it may not happen, but it very well could. It increases risk significantly. Um, so there are just a lot of things that, you know, we're not told before taking birth control about how it can affect our health. Uh, and a lot of people just have really horrible emotional side effects and they end up developing depression. And a lot of people don't think to connect that back to all the hormones that are not supposed to be there and the synthetic hormones and everything. In addition to that too, is that, you know, birth control depletes certain nutrients too, which are important for our mental health and um, a lot of times when people go off birth control, they go off of it to get pregnant and all the vitamins and minerals that were depleted from birth control, they need for pregnancy. <laughs> so we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage and it's like, okay, like, especially like the pill, it's like, oh, you can get pregnant right after like, and it's like, but, but you might be you? able to, but I don't recommend it. And 15% yeah. of women who come off the pill are infertile for at least a year. And that's because of that post-birth control, um, syndrome. And like what you said with the nutrient deficiencies, right? Like B vitamins are depleted. Now, folate is necessary for um, the fetal development so that it doesn't get spina bifida. So if you're low in these things and a baby's not a parasite, so mom gets the nutrients first and then the baby. So if you're low in these vitamins, you're gonna get them first and then what's kind of left over the baby gets. So they're not getting nearly enough because you don't have enough. So I just, I think that people should, detox from birth control and be very intentional about it for at least six months before trying to get pregnant. I know you don't like when you come off, you want a baby, right? Like you don't want to wait, but for, for the greater good, I would wait. Yeah. I mean, it's not just for, for your health, but for your pregnancy, for your recovery, post-pregnancy, all of that. And for your baby's health, um, talking to women that have had experiences where, um, they've had struggle with fertility and nutrition and everything for their per first pregnancy. And then with later pregnancies, they have taken care of their nourishment and their health. Um, they see, they, I've heard this is anecdotal, but, um, they see a difference in their baby's health afterwards. And it's, it's fascinating to me because like how much of that nutrition, it's not just about growing the baby physically, but it's, there's so much that goes into that. Um, and even if you don't, if you're not going off to get pregnant, um, like just going off of it and healing from it. Like you said, there's a whole classification of like birth control syndrome and it has its own symptoms because your body is now having to reset and readjust to having a cycle and hopefully ovulating again and trying to regulate 
on top of everything you struggled with beforehand, if you went on for like painful periods or acne or whatever it was, (laughs) it's a whole thing. There's a lot that our body goes through going on and off of birth control. And And even what you said about like the having trouble getting pregnant, even unrelated to birth control, if you have low like vitamin D, you're at more, you're at an increased risk for miscarriages. So I had a client with, um, low vitamin D and some, some gut issues that we had to fix, but she had had several miscarriages and, um, within three months of focusing on the vitamin D, um, clearing up her gut issues and giving her body, like, cause when you have all this going on, your body's under stress. And when your body's under stress, you're not focused. Your body's not focusing on fertility. It's like, let me, let me survive. It's so, like, I can't survive. I'm not making another one. <laughs> exactly. So within three months of clearing all that up, she, you know, got pregnant and she just recently had the baby. So she, you know, carried it to term and it's perfectly healthy. She's perfectly healthy. She's, you know, off all her medications. So it's just awesome. What you, it doesn't even take that long. You know, other people, of course, it's going to take longer depending on what your root causes for that infertility. Um, but you know, just as simple as like a, a vitamin D deficiency could increase your risk of multiple miscarriages. And that's a very common deficiency. So going more into fertility, would you say that um, in most cases of fertility that supporting nutrition can help women conceive and carry a baby full term? Or yeah, nutrition plays a huge part in it. Um, not just what we've talked about, but also, you know, if you think about like plastics or perfume or of phthalates, right? Like other toxins that are so common today decrease your fertility. And a lot of toxins can stay in the system for, you know, three months. And this is goes for men too. So um, if they are, you know, exposed to a lot of toxins, you typically want to remove as many as you can for like three months before getting pregnant, because that does affect the pregnancy as well. So there are a lot of things that go into it. Nobody needs to be perfect. I just have all these thoughts running through my head, but while you're pregnant, if you are, um, you know, eating a a really high processed diet that actually gives the baby an increased risk for type type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's, you know, hate to say it, but you know, mom, there's a lot that's on you. Um, and you don't have to be perfect there. No one's ever saying that, but, you know, doing what you can, and especially if you're dealing with infertility, um, and there are so many causes, so it is, you can't say one size fits all again, but, you know, focusing on doing everything that you can and also lowering stress. So while trying to do everything that you can, and you're so stressed because you're having miscarriages and you're, you know, just heartbroken, the stress is going to play a role as well. So it's, it's hard to say, man, it's stress when you're going through that, but you know, that's going to be a big, a big factor. And there's multiple ways to do that too. And I think that's, that can be overwhelming to some, but I think there's also a lot of beauty in that is that, you know, with even managing stress, there's multiple ways to do that and to help your body to feel hopefully more calm and more safe. Um, and with nutrition, there's, you know, multiple different ways to go about it. And, you know, mm-hmm. if your goal is to get more protein, you've got protein options. <laughs> right. Um, I think definitely working with somebody one-on-one to go through that and hopefully whether you're preparing it for pregnancy or just healing from birth control, whatever it is, um, to help address root causes and see specifically where you as an individual are at and what you need to work on. Cause everybody's body is different and everybody responds to things differently. Like I know with my body, I'm very sensitive to things that are, um, that are inflammatory and 
I think partly that runs in my family. <laughs> There's a lot of inflammation issues that run in my family. So I've had, I've been really careful with that, but I haven't been perfect either. You know, like, it's not like I've never eaten a drop of canola oil in the last year. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll still go out to eat. Like I enjoy myself, but you know, 90% of the time I would say I, you know, eat from home and eat my, you know, low inflammatory, just healthy diet. I mean, we don't, I, I'm sure you agree. Like, I don't put a label on how I eat or like, you know, I don't eat like paleo or anything. Like, I love the paleo diet, but I'm not going to live that one way forever. Yeah. And, and it's, I've seen improvements in my health from not being perfect. Yes. And um, I remember the first time I had a period where I didn't have what I call like an episode <laughs> and I felt good as the first period of my life where I felt good. And I was so blown away. I was so unexpected, but because I wasn't living perfectly and I was still swapping things out. I was pretty new to supporting my cycle and I was in college on a budget, (laughs) you know, but those little, little things, they add up for sure. They do. Kind of already gone into this a little bit, but um, how does our gut health influence our hormonal health? Yes. So now there's obviously that's multifaceted, but if you have, let's say leaky gut, and what we were talking about, the inflammation, inflammation drastically affects your hormones. Cause like I said, if your body is under a state of stress, fertility is not on its mind. So fertility would be, you know, your hormones are balanced, you're ovulating and everything like that. So with somebody who has chronic inflammation with leaky gut, and that happens because, you know, if you're eating an inflammatory diet or foods that you're sensitive to, but typically food sensitivities arise from leaky gut, but if you do have leaky gut, that's basically when like the gut lining is damaged. So, um, and that's going to cause further inflammation because like food particles are getting out essentially. And that's what your body ends up developing antibodies for those. So that's where food sensitivities typically come from. So if you're continuously eating those food sensitivities, it's just going to make it worse. So um, that's where like that elimination diet would come in. And the big, big offenders are gluten, dairy, love eggs, but eggs too. Um, and that's, those are the three big offenders that we can t- typically develop food sensitivities to. So if you are dealing with that, you could try to remove those three things, um, and just see how you feel. Usually people feel a lot of relief by eliminating, eliminating gluten, because that does impact, um, your gut lining, no matter who you are just to varying degrees. But another reason that, you know, the gut can affect hormones is the microbiome. So with, let's, for example, with high levels of beta-glucuronidase, you're going to have higher circulating estrogen in the body and less likely to eliminate estrogens because we need to, um, you know, I feel like I'm getting too technical, but maybe not. That's good. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, when, you're, when your body, when your liver is detoxing estrogen, it then sends it to the intestines for elimination. That's the last piece of eliminating estrogens. So if you are, um, one, not pooping, if you're constipated, you're going to reabsorb those estrogens and they're going to recirculate. So with higher beta glucuronidase, it's kind of the same thing where, um, it's less elimination through bowel movements of estrogen and more higher circulating estrogen. So, um, when somebody gets a GI map done and we see the high beta glucuronidase, you know, we typically think estrogen, but a cause for that, um, you know, can be just microbiome dysregulation, like dysbiosis to begin with. So, um, you know, you want to really get in a variety of foods and cause that is kind of what feeds your microbiome and like prebiotics, 
Pro prebiotics feed the existing bacteria and probiotics add new bacteria. So you want to get a variety, you know, fermented foods, um, apples are great prebiotic, Jerusalem artichokes. So you want to get a variety of veggies and everything. So you can just really feed your microbiome. And if you develop something like SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, you definitely want to get that taken care of. And that's going to be a little bit different than specific foods because you would need to go through a protocol of, you know, some antimicrobial herbs that would kill that off and then reintroduce um, some certain foods and everything. But that's another topic. But um, yeah, so the, the gut does have a significant impact on hormones yeah. in a lot of different ways and a lot more than that, but that's yes. what I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's so tough to fit everything in. I mean, you had a whole two and a half years of education on just this yeah. pretty much, and it's hard to fit that into one, one short answer within a podcast. It's so fascinating to me to see like the connection between gut health and hormonal health. Um, and I took it, like I mentioned before we started recording, um, I took a nutrition class my last semester of college and they, they were saying, oh yeah, if you're going to like, if you're pooping every three days, like every one to three days, like that's normal. And oh my gosh. That, now that oh. I know about hormonal health, I'm like, that is, that's awful for estrogen. I'm like, if you're going to the bathroom every three days, um, like that estrogen is going to get reabsorbed back into your body and we love estrogen. It's not bad. I think it's in these conversations, it's easy right. to be like, yes. oh, estrogen is bad. The thing is that everything has its time and its place and its season and estrogen rises and then it's detoxed and like flushed out. And then we continue to make more. The problem is that when it gets reabsorbed, it keeps circulating when it's past its time. So yeah, making sure just like those little things, like I don't think people would realize that going to the bathroom has much to do with your hormones, but it does. I know, it does. <laughs> and then other, you reabsorb other toxins as well. And just, you know, further the inflammation cascade It's just, yeah. You want to be going to the bathroom like one to three times a day if they're healthy. You know, if you look at the Bristol stool chart, you know, if they're healthy bowel movements, um, if it's diarrhea and you're going five times a day, that's a different story, but yeah, you definitely want to have at least one bowel movement a day. Yes, definitely. And even looking at like my own health and seeing like watching my gut health, um, not an expert, <laughs> but from what I've learned from, um, you know, different sources and different people like you online and everything. Um, and I struggle with really, really painful periods, like I'm like throwing up, passing out. It's awful. Um, but that's one thing I look for. It, like, am I like going to the bathroom at least once a day? Uh, yeah. And like checking like where's it on the Bristol stool chart <laughs> because yeah. is insight like you said those toxins that can be not just estrogen that can be reabsorbed back and creating inflammation which yeah. means prostaglandins which means more painful periods it's not a very fun cycle to be in <laughs> right. so yeah yeah you know. and typically painful periods and I I know you know this but just for the purposes of this yes. typically painful periods are associated with higher estrogen or low progesterone um, so you know if you're not ovulating and you have low progesterone, you probably are going to have painful periods. You may, you know, have long cycles or an absence of a cycle um, because typically the period comes, your menstrual cycle comes two weeks after you ovulate. So um, those are just some things to look out for and little signs and what it might mean. Yeah. Cause I think that's one thing that we don't realize too, is how our hormones impact our gut health too, not just our gut health impacting our hormones, but that relationship goes back and forth too. Um, so with birth control, um, how does birth control impact our gut health and vice versa? And we dove into this <laughs> earlier um, a little bit. So 
could we could you explain a little bit more about like how birth control impacts like yeah. our microbiome and everything? Yeah, definitely. So birth control almost always causes leaky gut. So that's number one. We just talked about the effects of that. When we come off of birth control, we always, I always start with focusing on the liver. When we come off of birth control, we always, I always start with focusing on the liver. Then we focus on the gut. Then we focus on the hormones because if those things are not in line, you're not going to be able to balance your hormones. So that's typically like the, um, you know, breakdown of what we do. And sometimes people need some you know, help with their nervous system as well. And just like stress in general. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing when it comes to your gut that I think, and we address the gut, we focus on like after birth control, we focus on the gut lining, repairing that, um, so that you're actually able to absorb your nutrients. So we can replete the nutrients, right? Like restore all the nutrients that are depleted by birth control, but if you're not absorbing them, that's an issue. So typically we'll do those like simultaneously so that you can still get those nutrients in, but you are, um, you know, working towards healing the gut so you can absorb them better. Yes. I think that's a big thing that people will overlook is, um, you know, if you're tracking like your nutrition and everything in a chart, it's like, oh yeah, I got this much vitamin C today, or I got, um, you know, this amount of protein and that's what went into your body, but that doesn't tell you what was absorbed exactly. by your body. And those are two very, very, very different things. <laughs> right. If you have low stomach acid, which is very common with stress, um, then you're not going to be absorbing your nutrients correctly because protein is, you know, digested primarily in the stomach. So your B vitamins, if you're not digesting it, you're not going to be absorbing it. So, and then undigested food will go into the intestines and then you may, you know, bacteria that's in there will feed off of it, ferment it and potentially, you know, lead to SIBO and other gastrointestinal issues that are no fun at all. Bloating and gas and burping and Yeah. Um, you know, and if you think you might have low stomach acid, you also may experience, um, some acid reflux. So that's actually really co more common in my experience with low stomach acid than with high stomach acid. So a lot of people will be put on a PPI or an antacid, but that's not their issue. <laughs> so their issue, and of course with medication, it's like, cool, but why? But, um, you know, their issue is the low stomach acid. So it's typically making it worse. And, um, those medications will almost always cause nutrient deficiencies like the B vitamins I was discussing that come from protein primarily. Like you said, they just don't tell you this stuff. <laughs> so when it comes to um, like supporting our liver, you said that's usually the first step. Um, I've seen a lot of things online of, oh yeah, you need to support your liver and they cure signs that your liver needs support. But how do we actually support our liver? Like what are things that we like someone listening to this could start today to support their liver. Yeah. So you definitely don't need a liver detox juice. Um, that's <laughs> start, you, know? <laughs> yeah. you don't need to spend $50 on a liver detox juice. Um, but you know, incorporate more foods that support the liver, like cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, broccoli sprouts, um, you know, beets are great for the liver. So I actually have like a beetroot juice that I'll just drink a few ounces a day. Um, so that's good. It's, Lakewood organics. It's literally just be organic beet. So we, yeah, I have that on hand pretty much at all times. Um, and then, you know, some other foods that support the liver, like broccoli sprouts are awesome. So they have really high, they're really high in sulforaphane. So that's one that's going to be really helpful. I am growing them right now. Um, they're super easy to grow. So, well, I shouldn't say that yet. I'm pretty sure they're going to be easy to grow. <laughs> It just takes three to five days. They're really cheap, but they're expensive at the store. So you can easily grow them yourself. 
Um, they don't need much sunlight, but anyway, um, garlic and onion are great too. So garlic has that sulforaphane. So if you actually um, cut the garlic or crush the garlic first, that's what activates the um, property that is good for your liver. So you want to, um, and it increases it. So if you're just, you know, chopping it up and throwing it in the, in the pan, it's still good. But if you wait like 30 to 40 minutes, I know it's like you're cooking. Why would you do that 30, 40 minutes first? But if you do, it significantly increases the liver, liver loving property of garlic. So um, that's a little thing there. And then also if you put mustard seed powder on your cooked broccoli after it's done, that also increases the sulforaphane and helpful for your liver. Yeah. So, and then of course, you know, those B vitamins are essential for the, the detoxification process in your liver. So I start my post-birth control clients on B vitamins right away um, because they are depleted by birth control and you need them for your liver. So, you know, some little vitamin A detox as well, but I wouldn't do that without supervision because um, if you take too much for too long, you can damage your liver. So you want to be pretty precise about the vitamin A. So I would ask a practitioner about that. Yes. The value of working with somebody <laughs> who's yes. more of an expert rather than self-supplementing. <laughs> Definitely. It's fascinating to see like just little things that we can do. Um, I think there's so much more that we can do than we realize because people think, oh, I need to take care of my health. Oh, that's going to be expensive. You know, I have to buy all these fancy foods and it's, I have to buy all of like the top quality stuff. And yes, quality matters, <laughs> right. um, but you can still I feel like take care of your health on a budget. And there's a lot of things that we can do for free. Like just let your garlic sit for like a half hour. That's free. <laughs> you, yeah. know, like, you just cut it first and then maybe chop everything else after. But that's yep. a pretty simple thing you can do to support your body and your gut health for sure. Right. So yeah, I wish people really, I wish we, we knew more about those little swaps and really like little tips and tricks that we could do that make, cause those things add up and make a difference. They do. Definitely. So you've talked a little bit about different clients that you've had um, and how you've helped them in different situations that's infertility or coming off of birth control, um, things like that. So what sort of resources and services do you offer to help women heal from birth control and improve their gut health <laughs> and support their hormones? So I work one-on-one -on -one with clients at the moment. I am in the process of creating a group course. Um, I'm just, you know, working out the details in that, but yeah, right now I am working one-on-one -on -one with clients. I do a variety of things at the moment, though I do focus, you know, advertise, focus mostly on, you know, hormones, especially PCOS, post-birth control syndrome. Um, so those are, those are like some of my favorites to work with. And especially because women with PCOS are told of so many different things that just are not helpful, <laughs> like cut out carbs. That's not sustainable. Um, you know, cut your calories in half or work out a ton. And I talked about this today on, on my story, but if you, if you do that, you're actually increasing cortisol. So you're increasing your stress. Um, and that's not going to be helpful for balancing your hormones as we've already talked about. So you definitely want to be very intentional and it's a lot easier than people think. Um, so people are honestly doing too much a lot of the time and not an almost never of the right thing. So it definitely, you want to focus on like the specific foods that are helpful for what you have going on, whatever your hormonal imbalance is. Um, but again, we always go back to the root cause. So that's what I help a lot of my clients with is just addressing the root cause. Like 
the client who ended up, you know, becoming pregnant and having the baby, we were never addressing her infertility specifically. We were just addressing, you know, she was on some medication, she had some gut issues. So that's mainly what we were addressing and her deficiencies. And then that just was a result of it because we healed the root cause. So um, that's what we always focus on is, is just the root cause and, you know, minimizing stress is a big thing. Um, so, you know, with the different dietary things that people are into like keto and vegan and everything, um, like with keto, if, if you're eating a low carb diet, especially as a woman, it increases your cortisol. So at that point, again, you're not interested in, um, balancing your hormones, your body isn't. So, um, there's just a lot of little, little things that, you know, there's no reason to subscribe to a diet, <laughs> a specific diet. You just want to focus on the nutrients that are good for, you know, what you have going on and the intentional movement for what you have going on. So I kind of help women figure that out. Um, you know, and I accept testing and everything. So whatever people already have, you know, bring to me. And then sometimes we'll do a GI map, order a GI map or, um, different hormone testing as well, depending on what we need. But I don't end up ordering a ton of testing unless we can't really figure it out because I like to start with, you know, healing, healing the gut and if they haven't done it and, you know, working on the liver and everything. So we'll usually start with that and see how that affects the symptoms and then go into testing if needed. Awesome. Cause it is just about building that foundation. If you're doing the basic foundations that are there to support your body, then a lot of other things fall into place. <laughs> and I really like too how you said that it's not always about doing more. Cause I think often when it comes to our health, we're like, oh, I need to do this more. I need to work out more. I need to, you know, sometimes cut more calories. I need to eat more of this, eat more of that. Um, and it's really easy to get stuck in this more, more, more mindset. And it's like, but are you doing the right things? Because you exactly. can do a lot of things, but it's not getting you, it might not get you anywhere. Like um, an analogy, like I, I like to use is, you know, people like a man digging a hole, you know, he might be working really, really hard his whole life. You know, he's a hardworking man and he's just digging the biggest hole. It's like, but are you doing anything? Right. <laughs> it's like, what is that for? Are you working hard just to work hard or are you working towards something? Yeah. Um, I think the same thing goes to, for our health is that more is not always the answer. It's sometimes cutting back and doing less and just switching to the right things. And it's a lot more simple than people realize. So it is, especially when you have it like laid out for you. And like I said earlier, like I don't heal people, but I'll give you the exact things that you need to do. And if you're willing to follow it, you're going to have good results. So yeah, I just, especially like I was saying with the PCOS individuals, you could Google it and get a million different things that you could do. And I'm sure most people have tried it. Um, and when you aren't sure that something is going to work, you don't usually give it the time to let it work. But a lot of the things that you'll find online aren't going to be sustainable. They aren't probably, they probably aren't going to work, especially because there's different, you know, types of PCOS and what you might be dealing with. So yeah, I just, it, it hurts me when I see so much like, oh, do more of this. And a lot of doctors will tell women who have weight gain because of their hormones with PCOS, oh, well, just, you know, cut your calories and work out more. And that's what you need to do, which is not, not the case. Yeah, not at all. So while we're on this topic, what are some of the most damaging nutritional trends or habits for women's hormonal health, you think? Yes. Um, so definitely the keto, the low carb that I was talking about. So a lot of times when women are eating low carb, you'll end up not eating enough. So, um, 
that will lead to, you know, the hypothalamus will downregulate, which then downregulates the sex hormone production. So, you know, and like I was saying with the cortisol, the cortisol increases. So you'll have a lot more of like the burnt out feeling or wired and tired. Um, and then, you know, the thyroid also needs carb, need carbs to convert to um, active thyroid hormone. So there is just so much that if you're eating like a keto or low carb diet, it's more beneficial for men. Um, and there are some, you know, some benefits, but overall, if you're looking to balance your hormones or lose weight with hormonal imbalances, do that's, I don't recommend it. Um, you know, if I would to recommend as far as carbs, especially with, you know, women with PCOS, like I would focus on nutrient dense carbs. So root veggies and the beets and quinoa and things that are going to give you benefit and then also, um, higher fiber carbohydrates. So yeah, I don't, I don't recommend, um, a keto diet or low carb diet for women. And, you know, a lot of people struggle with this one, but this, the diet that's supposed to be the healthiest out there, the vegan diet, I just do not agree at all. Um, now one of the reasons is just because it doesn't make sense. So if you aren't getting an essential nutrient like B12 from your diet, because you can get um, B12 anywhere else, right? From other than animal products. Correct. Yeah. yeah. If you can't get an essential to your nervous system, your your B12 stores can last like five years. So a lot of times, even if you're supplementing, um, people, some people that are vegan hit that like five-year mark and just start to crave meat. So like, just like a burger, you know? Um, and you don't have to have meat as like the central part of your diet, but yeah, I think that we do need me. And if you have to supplement to survive, I don't think that that's the diet that we were meant to be on. So um, that's one of my big things. And then there's some other things like, you know, absorbable iron comes from meat products and, um, you know, essential fatty acids. So if you're just getting one ALA, which is a omega-3 fatty acid, if that's the only one that you can get from your diet, your body has to convert it into um, like DHA and EPA. So your body has to convert it and use the enzyme. But if the enzyme is just being overused, it just starts to lead to some issues. So if you're eating fish, that's great. So that you're getting the, um, you know, the EPA and DHA. So from your diet versus your body having to convert it into that. So yeah, there's just, there are some more, but there's just a lot of reasons that I don't think now, if you're an expert, I think that you could do it. If you could, if you know all the issues that could arise and you supplement correctly, you could do it. But I don't know, that just doesn't sound like something we were meant to do if you have to kind of be an expert to do it correctly. Yes. And you can live like that for years. You can live like that, but I don't think that, and people start to feel better, but I don't think it's because you're cutting out meat. Yeah, I heard someone recently talking about, um, it was uh, a man talking about uh, his health journey and how he was in college partying, drinking all the usual, right? Not, right. not eating well at all. Um, and he switched to being vegan and he saw an improvement in his health and it was because he started eating vegetables. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, yeah. <laughs> you're going to see an improvement from eating nothing but chips and beer. <laughs> like, that's gonna, and that is a step up. Sugar is vegan. So like a lot of people just eat a lot of sugar. Um, and call it and call it vegan. And even if you're a great vegan and you eat a ton of veggies and, you know, get your protein in, you're still have to get, you still have to eat a lot of carbs to get your complete proteins in. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you're probably eating way out of proportion 
for carbohydrates than, you know, protein. So you might run into an issue there as well. So you do have to be very particular if you're going to eat, if you're going to be healthy um, on a vegan diet. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting listening to this man's story because he he now eats more of like a holistic, more the thing that you talked about. Um, and he's seen like he's like, this is my peak health, <laughs> you know. And he talked about how like you know being vegan for that time frame was an improvement compared to what he was doing. Yes. So of course he felt better, but it still wasn't his best. And you know, having a full, complete nutritional profile. <laughs> yeah all of that and addressing his gut health and um eating for his body and not having to do anything like overly complicated and all of that has made the biggest difference so I think that um because I was listening to some people talk about being vegan the other day and um (laughs) and I was like I'm like gotta bite your tongue (laughs) yeah I'm like it's okay (laughs) um but they're like yeah I could just never go back like we'll never like I don't think we'll ever change like we love it and I'm sitting there like, I don't know how long they've been vegan. It's been for a few years at least. I wonder if they've hit that five-year mark, like you said, and if they haven't yet, what it will be like, because um, yeah. a lot of these trendy diets, whether that's being vegan or keto or intermittent fasting, whatever it is, especially for women, um, if whoever listening that you haven't heard already, most of this research that's done on diets and nutritional health is done on men or postmenopausal women. It's not done on our on how it affects our cycles um, and how our hormones are cyclical hormones, which yep. impact our mood and our digestion, our metabolism, everything. We have no idea that the relationship on how these diets impact that. Um, and yeah. so these things might feel better at first, but they are, they don't last for very long, um, yes. especially for women. And I think that's, which is funny because they're usually marketed towards women more. <laughs> I know. And um, that's, you know, and people can do it. Like, I'm not going to say somebody couldn't be doing it for their whole life, but if they're doing it right. Um, now, if they are doing it for their whole life, just on principle and they feel like crap, that's a different story, you know, like low energy and everything. But even with like what you were saying about the studies done on, on men, like, so the reason for that is because premenopausal women, we have a lot of factors to account for. So you have to make sure that all the women are on the right cycle, like, you know, on cycle synced and everything, because things could, we need, you know, different levels of food intake throughout the month. So, you know, you have to make sure that women are synced up and how are you going to get that many women synced up um, and just like healthy cycles and everything like that, especially with what we're told is healthy. Not a lot of women have very healthy cycles. So, you know, that's why they aren't really done on, because there's too many, there's too many factors, too many controls to think about when doing research on premenopausal women. Yes, it is definitely difficult. And it's like trying to find a unicorn (laughs) in research. It just, I don't know if there really is much out there yet. So just last thing on the, on the vegan diet, that's, um, that I had mentioned to you prior, but a lot of, I think half of my master's class came in as a vegan and as far as I know, zero left as a vegan. So, you know, one developed, you know, got issues because she wasn't eating the correct variety. Um, one developed or one hit that like five year mark and would just like craved meat. So she ended up having it. And also mostly because we learned about the biochemistry of the body and they understood like, oh, maybe this isn't the healthiest option. So a lot of um, most of the people, that's what they had said was just like, you know, well, we learned how the body works. So 
don't don't really want to do that anymore because that's I thought it was healthy. I was told it was healthy and it's not, you know, not the healthiest option. So yeah, I'm not an advocate for the vegan diet. <laughs> I've seen a lot of women in the hormonal health space stay the same. Some of which have been vegan themselves. Um, but they're like, yeah, that's, that's not it. That's not going to be the best thing for your hormones, especially for the everyday person. Like you said, maybe if you're an expert and you have the science figured out and you can finesse it, but for the everyday person, it's just not realistic. One question I had too was about low calorie diets. Cause I know Mm -hmm. they're also very popular. People are like, oh yeah, I'm I'm eating healthy, but I'm only eating 800 or 1200 calories a day. And And they want to know how that impacts their, um, their cycle and their hormonal health. And then they wonder why their periods are missing or why they're having issues with ovulation. (laughs) Could you dive into why those are maybe not the best thing? Yeah. So kind of like I had said before too, like, not only is it going to increase your cortisol and cause stress and your body doesn't want to, you know, focus on reproductive health when it's stressed, but if you're doing it to lose weight, it's, it's not going to help. So, you know, when you cut your calories like that, what your metabolism is going to do is slow down to meet you where you're at eating your calories, because it's like, Oh, I'm starving. So I'm going to slow down so that I can, you know, survive and not burn through my stores so fast. So when you're eating like 800, 1200, 1500 calories a day, one, you can't get in the nutrients you need. So we need like around that 2000 calorie mark to get in the nutrients that we need, or, you know, you can supplement as well, but that's just one thing to think about. But when you are eating such a low calorie diet, you're going to end up screwing up your metabolism to the point where you go back to a healthy amount of calories and you're going to gain weight back because your metabolism is worse than when you started. So you're going to gain all that weight back and then some until your metabolism can kind of catch up, but then you're worse off than where you were before. And a lot of people that do like those diet programs and everything that cut your calories, they're going to think it's their fault because the program ended and they went back to eating normally and they gained all the weight back and it must be your fault. No, it's because that program slowed down your metabolism. So then people go back and pay that program again because it worked one time and it'll work again. No, you're going to make it worse. (laughs) So um, that's a big thing with low calorie diets. And, you know, I kind of touched on what a low calorie diet would do to the hormones when I was talking about low carb diets, but yeah, I mean, you need, you need the, um, your thyroid hormone to ovulate. So that makes, that makes a difference there too. So if you're eating a low calorie diet and your hypothalamus is downregulated and your, um, thyroid is downregulated, you're not making the hormones that you need to support your reproductive health. So a lot of women end up, you know, missing a period because it's just not what your body's focused on. It's focusing on surviving. Um, And when people get down, when women get down to a really low body fat, you know, that happens as well. So yeah, it's, I can't stand low calorie diets for many, many reasons. (laughs) Yeah. And it's tough thing. That's like all over Pinterest and everything. It's like, okay, here's how to eat 1200 calories in a day. It's like, that is, and like screaming on the inside too. And hearing, about different like programs that advocate for it and um, how women are told that it doesn't impact their fertility and it doesn't impact their hormonal health. <laughs> like right. that is a lie. That is just a straight right. lie because like, there's no way that it doesn't, like you said, when your body is in a stress state because it thinks, Hey, I'm not even getting enough to feed myself. Like I'm not going to prioritize creating another human being right now, which mm-hmm. starts with ovulation. 
um, not even going into pregnancy yet, but just ovulating, your body's like, I'm not even giving us the chance for that because this just isn't safe. So, and it's not to say that women don't ovulate ever on those, but right. Yeah, no, absolutely. But in the long run, quality of ovulation and maybe the frequency, um, and the predictability of ovulation, all of that can definitely get thrown off from stress and that the stress you put on your body. And it's a whole hormonal chemical reaction. (laughs) We've gone over a lot about hormones and how that affects our gut health and how birth control is connected. Um, even touched on PCOS, different kinds of diets, um, how our brain is involved, our thyroid. We've touched on a lot of things. Um, so for those that are listening, what are one or two things women listening to this can do to start supporting their health today? There's a couple yeah. takeaways. Yes. Um, I would definitely start focusing on those nutrient dense carbohydrates, the fiber that your gut needs, um, to even support your brain, your energy. So, you know, those nutrient dense carbohydrates and, um, you know, definitely always have a veggie. That's like a really great rule of thumb is every meal. What's your veggie on your plate. So, you know, and get a variety and get a variety of colors in because every different color has a, um, has a different nutrient profile. So that's the best way to just support all the nutrients to be able to keep your, you know, your hormones in balance and your gut health in balance. So, and we know that all those things are key to our mental health and our physical health. So just, um, you know, and, and don't skip meals, (laughs) stop skipping meals, stop cutting your calories and just focus on the foods that you're eating versus the calories. So that's a big thing that I, um, like to preach is just, Stop counting your calories unless you have a specific, you know, if you're a lifter and you have a specific goal like that. But if you're just trying to balance your hormones and lose weight, there's no reason that you need to be counting your calories um, or cutting out carbs or, you know, stressing your body to the max with something that's unsustainable. Our bodies don't lie to us. You know, if our body, if we're feeling really, really hungry, um, we need food. Hungry. <laughs> yeah, you're hungry. <laughs> you know, your body needs the nutrition. Um, I look back, I used to not eat breakfast. And I was like, I didn't eat until like 12 o'clock. I was like, I'm just not hungry in the mornings, you know, like I'm listening to my body and it's not hungry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, good start. But that was right. not a good thing. <laughs> you know, because you end up training your body to feel that way, you know, yeah. like if you're not eating much, like I said, your metabolism is going to slow down to meet you where you're at. So you're not going to be hungry, but once you start eating more, you get hungry more. Yes. And that's something I've definitely noticed for me because, um, I look back at what I ate and how much I ate. It was very, very little compared to what I was now. Not because I was like ever dieting or cutting calories. I was just like, I'm just not hungry and I forget to eat and I'm busy. And yeah. then when I would go for something, I would go for something very sugary, very carby because I was just, I just, I think my body just needed that immediate like energy mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was craving that it just needed it needed nutrients. <laughs> it wasn't giving it to my body. And it's no wonder that I had fatigue and that chronic pain. Um, and now I look at how even just eating breakfast in the morning, getting more protein and prioritizing plant balancing my blood sugar, um, and eating every like two to four hours, like just a simple protein every once in a while throughout the day. Um, I'm hungry. Like as soon as I wake up, like I wake up and I'm like, I am starving. <laughs> And I've eaten more than I have. And, um, I think ever, and I don't count calories. I just eat when I'm hungry and I, 
I eat food that I love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't have like that, like craving for sugar, like I did before. Um, still love sweets, but it's not exactly. like my body's dying and just absolutely desperate for it. Um, mm -hmm. and I have more energy than I ever have. Um, because I have like less inflammation, I have less chronic pain. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have chronic fatigue anymore. <laughs> my periods are better. Um, so it's such a big difference. Yes. So yeah, definitely. It's it's so simple, but just just eat <laughs> and eat good food and enjoy it. Um, like your body, like if it's if it's screaming at you, it's not mad at you. It just needs your attention and some love. <laughs> So my last question for you, um, after we've talked about everything so far, if you had one bit of advice for the women listening to this, what would you tell them? Oh, geez. Um, don't follow what works for a man. <laughs> like we <laughs> talked about, you know, all these studies are done on men and a lot of women just see the study and they don't even think about the fact that women are completely biochemically different. So don't, follow what works for a man. And if you have hormonal acne, don't listen to the people that tell you all you need is soap and water. It's internal. It's not, you know, anything else. So yeah, just I mean, listening to your body is a huge thing. So don't follow what works for a man, figure out what's going to work for you. And, you know, if a lot of women end up trying a ton of different things and being really disheartened and thinking nothing's going to work for them, thinking they've tried everything, but there is something out there. So, you know, I would just be open to like just investing in your health. It doesn't have to be monetarily, but like your time, maybe you want to, like for me, I went to school and I got, you know, my master's in it and spent years studying it. And okay. I did spend a lot of money on that. <laughs> Being open to, you know, finding out what works for you and not just listening to what has worked for a man. Yes. hundred percent. Agree. Definitely a huge advocate for our health and prioritizing that and learning how that is different. Cause it's, it's not just about bleeding once a month, but like, it's like we've talked about today is impacting our gut health. It's impacting our mental health, um, our brains, even our dental health, like our immune system, yeah. everything. It's not just isolated to like your reproductive organs. So your body is one whole machine working in unison. So we can't break it up into separate parts and think that that's going to work. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on and talking uh, all about nutrition, helping us to be better educated about our bodies and how to support them in our day-to-day -day life. So I know we've learned a lot from you today. So thank you for being here. This is fun. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cycle Way Podcast. I'm so glad you could join in and I hope this inspired and encouraged you with your own health journey. If you want to connect more with Eva, links to her website and Instagram are included in the description. If you want to keep up with our upcoming episodes, make sure to give us a follow on here. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at cycleway.workshop and sign up for our email updates on our website for a sneak peek of next week's episode. I hope you have a wonderful day today and I will see you next time. Happy periods, my friend.